Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here you'll learn about how to grow your home building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. This podcast has really turned into a movement and community of people who want to grow personally and professionally. Here we bring you some of the best marketing, sales, and business minds in the industry so you can elevate your business. All right, let's dive into the show. Hey, it's Spencer Powell, and welcome back to Builder Funnel Radio. Hope you're having a great day today. Today, we're going to dive into an interview that I did with Vicky of Suter Business Builders. And Vicky really helps contractors see their businesses differently and then gives them tools to do things differently. Vicky and I go, go way back, and we were talking a little bit about just the crazy growth that the industry is going through right now. And we felt like conversation around something that Vicky knows a ton about which is building great teams would be super timely and relevant for you. So that's what we're going to dive into today. She's also got really fantastic resources for you guys. Kind of bring those up near the end of the interview, but we'll also have those links in the show notes for you. And I would also recommend that if you haven't checked it out already, grab a copy of her book, The Profit Bleed. And that's an excellent read as well. So without further ado, let's dive into the interview with Vicki Suter. Hey, Vicki, welcome back. Thank you, Spencer. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited too, because we're going to dig into uh, team building today, which I think is extra important. I think it's always important, but extra important right now. We've gone through a lot of growth in the industry the last couple of years. But just to kick things off, I'm curious, like, what's the sentiment you're hearing from clients? Like, how's the industry feeling? General thoughts? So in terms of like teams and building teams and, you know, there's like, I think everybody knows, like everyone's struggling with finding qualified employees and it's not just in construction, but it's everywhere. And the in turnover is higher, which interestingly enough is also an opportunity when people are faced with having to, you know, find new people. And it also, and I'm sure we'll probably get into this a little bit today on this topic of building great teams, but it also creates this great opportunity for us as leaders in the industry to ask the question, how do we build great teams? And it's not just about hiring superstars. Yeah, that's interesting. You said that there's high turnover. Why do you think that is? Well, there's this thing about, especially the younger generation, I think gets this a little bit more, but as human beings, our fundamental desire is to have a sense of contribution, belonging, and mattering. Like we want to feel like what we do has value and that we are valued for that contribution. And I think that we, you know, have oftentimes approached management or leading people in a business that our job is to get them to do this stuff, right? And to really, a lot of times what I've seen over the years is we treat people like they're helpers to get a job done, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really in the long run help us as leaders and managers, because then we just have helpers. We don't have people that actually take ownership. But the other thing that happens is that it leaves people with a sense of not knowing how to be successful with us and not knowing how to win the game and the sense of dissatisfaction with, I don't feel like, like I'm making a contribution. And then and I think that we underestimate how important that is for us as human beings. And I don't care who you are, like, like we all want to feel that way, right? Like we all want to feel like we're in some way making a difference, making a contribution, having a value in what we do. 
in some ways, I think that just like in when you're doing prospecting or you're doing sales in construction, when people say to you, it's about the money, more often than not, it's not necessarily about the price, but price is the easiest thing or money is the easiest thing to say, well, it was just outside of my budget rather than say to you, I didn't get a good feeling or I don't feel like you can really guide me through the process or I've left with more questions than I have answers, right? Like that, we haven't built enough know, like, and trust with you to want to invest with you. And I think that as employees have gotten to this place, the market was, you know, there was low supply, high demand, right? Which drives up prices. So then in that environment, we started paying people more. And even when we paid people more, there was still this sense of dissatisfaction, right? Not really feeling that sense of fulfillment. And I know it, you know, in some ways it's like there might be people listening to this who are thinking to themselves, well, that's great. It's kind of an airy fairy, like, you know, feel good sort of like, you know, kumbaya approach. But honestly, it's like, it's not. And it's the, you know, the whole thing about being a good leader is actually empowering people to be their best selves, which will solve a lot of problems. It solves your problem of having to micromanage people. It solves your problem of having to stay on top of people to get their job done, wanting people to take more ownership, wanting people to take more initiative. But it also takes a little bit of a slower pace and some discipline to learn how to be that kind of a leader. I think it comes back to that. I, I really do. And it's I think it's very pivotal to what has people stay, what has people love working for company, you know, certain companies, what has some of my clients have people calling them for jobs right now because they get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting as you're talking through all of that, I was thinking, okay, so yeah, at least the dots that were connecting in my mind where everybody's super busy right now. They're either hiring and bringing on people or everyone that's on their team is so busy that maybe they're we're all just focusing on the job to be done and we're not really talking about connecting the job to the meaning or like how it's translating to the success of the company or any like we're missing that connection because it's just like we're so freaking busy we just have to get all this stuff done and so all that stuff kind of gets pushed to the side and you're like we don't have time for that do you think that's part of it I definitely think that that's part of it. I think the other part of it is in that rush of hiring somebody, we end up hiring warm bodies that aren't really qualified for the job. So not having a good screening process or a good interviewing process can really impact somebody's ability to be able to choose the right person for the job. And what I've found time and again is, you know, I've seen this with clients where when you take the time to make sure they're A, you're clear about what it is that you really want and expect from somebody in that job. You're clear about what the results are you want somebody to produce. By having clarified that for yourself before you interview and you ask the hard questions, you're going to find that you're going to hire people who are a better fit. And it's interesting because I think that the clearer you are about that or we are as leaders and managers, right? The more we have that clarity. We have more confidence to know how to ask a better set of questions maybe in that interview process with someone that then also is a way that you come into that relationship when you hire someone with a clear understanding of what are the results that are expected beforehand. So, I, I And I think that that then makes that transition as you're talking about it rather than just like sort of throwing people at jobs 
Well, when I'm super clear about what I need that person to do, now I can be more strategic about how I onboard them and be really clear about, you know, setting parameters for how they can be successful. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. On that same note, when thinking about like, I'm trying to build a great team, how much of it is in the like finding the right person and the hiring process versus like they hit day one and the ongoing like training and culture and that piece? Like if you had to break that up into percentages. I think it's all important. So Um, equally important or would you put more emphasis on one side or the other? I guess is what I'm getting at. I would say that it's equally important because if you've done the work at the front end to be really, wow. (laughs) <laughs> no, so I'm no thinking, I, I threw a like, curveball oh, well, at you because like, I was I was thinking about it too. I'm like, I don't know if I know the answer. I hope you know the answer. <laughs> yeah, like one's a short game, one's a long game, right? Yeah. So the short game is interviewing, hiring, asking all the right questions, short game. Long game, actually building a team that takes ownership and accountability means you have to have the discipline as a leader. We have to, as leaders, have that discipline to know how to onboard somebody, how to keep them on track, how to manage for results. That's the long game in terms of having people take ownership and build great teams. Again, that's a long game. So that requires a little bit more. Anytime you're talking about a long game in in any part of our business, it just takes more discipline. Yeah, it's interesting the way you broke it up into short game, long game, because just to equate it to, to marketing, I was thinking about this topic the other day when it comes to like direct response versus branding. A lot of people are like, ROI, but like really branding is the long game and your ROI gets better the longer you do it. And and I almost feel like there's an analogy there with the team, which is like you bring them on, but the more you invest into the ongoing, like the longer you keep those people, you don't have to have them go somewhere and rehire and restart and like all that investment gets thrown out the window. So yeah, like I like that viewpoint of short game, long game. Do you feel like when you think about building great teams, teams that like work really well together, perform, you know, that sort of thing. Are there core elements that you think about, like that go into that or? In terms of teams working really well together to build great teams. Is that what your question is? Yeah. Like if if you kind of looked at like, here's a good team, here's a bad team. Would you be able to identify like, yeah, this is kind of how you spot a good team sort of a thing. Great teams are willing to have hard conversations. And being willing to have hard conversations is the thing that builds trust. So when I say, what do I mean by hard conversations? I mean that we're willing to, well, I'll give you an example. So there's a team that I've been working with recently that there's a lot of, they do this, they do that. There's a lot of shuffling the issue to the other team. Well, if they'd have done their job, so on and so (laughs) forth. And they all kind of complain to the owner. So I had this conversation with them and I'm gonna, I said, you know, if you all were willing to take, and I had this with the leadership team, I said, if you're all willing to take 100% responsibility 100% of the time for the success of your team, then how might you work differently with that other team, right? So if I'm talking about design is, or, or you know, production is built, is blaming design or production is blaming estimating. And when I say responsibility, I think this is important for me to define this here. So responsibility is not shame, blame, fault. What responsibility is, is the ability to respond. So if I'm willing to take 100% responsibility for the experience I'm having or the results that I create, then I also 
can just have the mindset, which I do, which I find I personally love because it gives me way more choices and options about how I live my life. So if I take that approach to it, then I go, okay, how can I respond in a way that I can cause a different result rather than look at it and go, well, your job is this and you're not doing your job. And if you're not doing your job, I can't do my job. Or I have to make up for your mistakes because blah, blah, blah. How would you instead go have a different kind of conversation with that design department, estimating department, or vice versa to have a dialogue about how can you cause a different kind of result with each other? Like, how can you open a conversation that maybe looks like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Is there a way that we can work on this better? Or this this seems to not be working between us. How can we figure this out? Like, so when I say hard conversations, it's like that willingness to, like, in some ways, it requires a certain amount of vulnerability. It requires mm-hmm. like having to go to that other person and go, "I'm struggling," or you know, "Am I missing something?" It requires being willing to be open to hearing. And having a dialogue and changing how we have it, like how we see it, right? Like seeing that other person as not like trying to sabotage us or doing a poor job, but instead see that other person as what's what could be another way that we could work together. So it's that thing of when we can be willing to have the hard conversations, we build trust with each other. And when we can build trust with each other, that's how you build really strong teams. So some of the strongest teams I know. And, you know, and I remember, I, you know, stories that I can tell of, you know, along my, my career of having to go through some of those transitions and ending up with some of those people that I originally struggled with being some of my greatest allies because I was willing to go to the other side and I was willing to have those hard conversations. So I think that that's really key. I think that's core in terms of building strong teams is that ability to build trust And we do that by being willing to have those conversations that sometimes are uncomfortable, right? Yeah, it got me thinking, your example got me thinking about, so you got these two teams that are kind of like pointing fingers and that sort of thing. And then I guess when you like introduce this concept or or idea of like, hey, let's take the responsibility. Let's maybe look at this from a different angle. Are people usually open to that? Or do you like, do you get pushback? I'm I'm envisioning like certain personalities being like, nah, you know, like whatever. Or do you find that, yeah, that resonates? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I will tell you that there was like, so for the most part, like people were like, oh yeah, okay. I get that. Obviously practicing it is a little bit different, but it's also that ability to be able to see that other person as they're just a human being and human beings are not perfect and human beings, you know, like that we all fun. And I brought back that whole concept of fundamentally, we all want to do a good job. Nobody wants to go to, you know, nobody goes to work in the morning and goes, how can I screw up? You know, yeah. we go to work in the morning and we, we go in our lives and go, how can I like running in us is I want to do a good job. I want to be successful. I want to, you know, make a contribution. So it's like, if we can see other people from that perspective, that it opens up a possibility. And, you know, and everybody was in that meeting, that leadership meeting really like heard it. Then there was one person who was like, well, if they could just see it my way, (laughs) (laughs) I gave them all the stuff they needed. They're just not willing to use it. 
It was somebody who was, you know, a bit resigned in the conversation, which was regrettable, you know, because, you know, as I pointed out to that person, to him, I said, you know, you're the only one, you're kind of setting up a lose-lose. You're the only one who's going to lose in this equation. And you're not really setting up the other person to be successful. So if you were willing to look at it, like it's my responsibility, like to, you know, ask some more questions about why they're not using it. So not everybody is willing to embrace that conversation. And sometimes people get resigned. And, you know, I always say it's like when somebody's not being successful at their job, there's, you know, four fundamental reasons. One, they're not clear about how to be successful at their job. It's not been clearly defined by the leadership. There's, it's not in a, in a specific and measurable way that they can self-manage the results. Two, that they don't have the skill or the competency to do that job effectively. They just, you know, you hired somebody who really wasn't, didn't have the skill set that you needed, or they lack capacity. And lacking capacity is they're doing the job of two people and they're just not getting it done. I will say, oftentimes I find when people don't have the capacity, it's oftentimes a competence issue too. It's not just a capacity issue. And then the fourth reason that somebody is not successful in a job is they are resigned. They have lack of desire. And lack of desire and resignation is uncoachable. It can't be changed. Sometimes, like, you know, if you catch it early enough on before somebody has become completely resigned, you can. But once someone's turned that corner, if they have a lack of desire and they just don't care, all the mentoring and the coaching in the world won't make a difference. And you just need to let them go. But that's good. Those elements are are helpful because it feels like, hey, if you're solving for for the other three and that truly is going well, then if you're still experiencing number four there, it's like, oh, time to part ways and this is really hindering us. And then as a leader, you can feel like, hey, I, d- I did everything in my power to help them be successful in this role. Yeah, I like that. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. What mistakes do you see people making when they're like, building teams and thinking about culture and like trying to accomplish like this trust that you've talked about and kind of whether it's the hard conversations or or just some of these elements of, of great teams. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that thing of not having articulated what's the results that are important to you as a leader. 
and as you as a business owner or a manager, like, have you gotten super clear about what's the criteria for success? Let me just give an example. So if we talked about a project manager, now that title of project manager is one that I could talk to 17 different construction companies and get 17 different answers about what a project manager is. Because we use that title a lot of times as a, just sort of as a catch-all. It tends to not happen as much in larger companies. In larger companies, there's more standardization around what a project manager's job is. But in smaller companies, it tends to be in some places, they call it a project manager and it's nothing more than a lead carpenter or a foreman, or they're really a superintendent. They're not really a project manager. Like a project manager's job is on time, on budget as promised. So in order to have a project manager be successful in your company, defining what that means to you is really important. doesn't matter whether or not it's really some, like it could be that it's not about on time, on budget as promised. It could be they're not the primary point person for the client. It could be that what they are responsible for is managing the field and making sure that the job hours are correct. And it could be that it's you know managing the client relationship, whatever those things are. But the clearer you are as a leader in defining what that is and in quantifiable terms, right? That means that, you know, client meetings happen every week with a client either in person or via Zoom. It means that, you know, job hour reports are reviewed every week by 2 p.m. on Thursday to make sure that the next week is set up and that you're clear about how many hours you have left for every task on the job. You know, it could be things like that, but the clearer you are, in defining those measurable things, then what happens is that you then, when you communicate that and you have agreement with your team in every position about what those criteria for success is in that job, you've given them the ability to be able to self-manage those results because they're quantifiable. And secondly, you have the ability as a leader to be able to manage by results with your team at that point, as opposed to just having one conversation at a time, finding out like, you know, the thing that sucks up all of our time is that we end up having these conversations about all the minutia and all the detail, trying to navigate our way to the results. And one of the things I say is start with the end in mind and work your way backwards. So if the result is on time on budget is promised and you want to get to you know, I have X number of hours for framing as an example. If all I do when I start out over here is talk about all the mechanics of doing framing or like, you know, what does it all have to look like and so on and so forth. But I don't actually start with the end in mind and go, hey, Steve, Mr. Project Manager, Superforming, whatever, you know, you have this many hours to complete framing. Here's the scope of framing. How are you going to get from where we're starting out here to framing getting completed here? Now you've just had a different conversation with Steve because now you've said to Steve, starting with the end in mind, Steve, let's come up with a plan for how you're going to get there. And now Steve can have a better sense of, and Steve has looked up and looked at the bigger picture and gone, all right, how can I get that done? As opposed to, here's what happens. The job starts, you're over here, you just finished doing a bid. You go to Steve and go, here's the budget, here's how many hours you have, here's what the scope of work is, go do it. And then Steve puts his head down and he just starts marching along. And then you get about halfway through the job and you're like, oh my gosh, we're out of, you know, we're not on budget. Like, 
what are we going to do? And then you start yelling at Steve, like, what do you, you know, dude, you just like burnt up half the hours and we're only a quarter of the way through. And Steve's like, I'm working as hard as I can. Right. Like, so that if you've been in construction, like any business really like that can happen. Right. And so starting like the, again, going back to that thing of when you're super clear about what it is, the results that you're looking for in that job and make it quantifiable. And then when you, instead of when you're starting out, you actually empower your team to get an agreement with those, right? And it says, instead of Steve just keeping his head down, working as hard as he can, Steve knows every Thursday that, first of all, you set Steve up to have a plan when he started about getting to that result. But then every Thursday, Steve and you sit down and you're looking at, okay, What's it going to take to get, you know, where are you? What, you know, how many hours did you have? How many hours are you burned? What percentage of complete are you on that, you know, each phase or task of work? And then Steve can, then you and Steve can go, okay, so what now? What, how do we adjust? Right. So again, it's that whole thing of continually lifting up your head and focusing on what's the end game. And that's your greatest way to be able to get consistent results with your team. It's your greatest way to be able to build a strong team of people who actually take ownership because they're empowered at that point, right? They know how to win the game, right? And if we go back to the original thing that I said about people want to have a greater sense of contribution, belonging, and mattering, people want to be valued for what they do. Well, now Steve just went from being a helper, getting framing done or managing that project to now Steve actually takes ownership of I agreed to the scope of work and I agreed to that many hours. Now, how do I approach, you know, now I'm on, you know, I've got a goal, I've got a plan and I'm going to manage that plan along the way with Steve. Yeah. But I can take ownership of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And as you're describing this, it's pretty in depth. Like it involves a lot of thinking and work to like get there, I guess, uh, so you probably can't put like an ROI number on like a good team versus a bad team. Maybe you can, but I would guess that would be tough. But I, I guess more of the question I'm wondering is for somebody listening and they're going like, that sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like a lot of effort to like put that in place and, and do that. I guess, what would you say to somebody that's maybe skeptical of like, this will be worth the time and effort if I can get this kind of going in all the positions in my company? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a great question. So what I can tell you is that for the last 30 years, my focus with clients is helping them make more money on their bottom line, to have more time in their day, and reclaim the joy and fun of what they do again. Part of reclaiming the joy and fun in what you do again is the ability to have go back to the original thing why you started this business, was to be able to have choices about how you spend your time and to be able to have choices about your financial freedom and to be able to do what you love to do. But somewhere along the way, we end up getting into the churn of managing people, thinking that our job is to micromanage, which is then the thing that eats up all of our time, which is why we end up chasing after results. And then not having that system, that kind of system in place, we oftentimes don't end up having the profits on the bottom line. I can tell you for 30 years of doing this work that the system, what I'm talking about works. I see consistently time and time again, people who are, you know, time marches on. You didn't get to where you are today overnight, and you're not going to get to the place of 
where, you know, my client, one client that I have who's uh, got people calling them for jobs. That's pretty unusual these days. But it's not necessarily like, why does that happen in that company? And they have very high gross profit margins and they have very high net profit margins and they have good, you know, good cash flow. Both of the principals take six weeks off a year. How do they do that? Well, they do that because they did this and they did it over time and it didn't happen overnight and they took it on one piece at a time. So the R, you know, when you talk about like, what's the ROI, the ROI is getting your life back. (laughs) The ROI is the ability to make more money on the bottom line, have more, you know, be able to have more of your time to do with as you choose and to really have more fun. You know, I have had many clients who have said to me, I love what I do now more than I ever have before. And please don't hear this. Like, I'm not trying to pitch my services. But what I'm sharing with you is that like what I've seen it, I've seen it transform people's lives and businesses time and time again, when they're willing to do this work and just take it on as a discipline, you have the ability to really transform your business and transform your lives and build a strong group of people and team of people who want to be the solution to your not enough money, not enough time problem, which will ultimately make it more fun because you're not the micromanager anymore. You're not chasing after people and trying to herd cats. You know, you're not chasing after them for results. They are being taking more initiative, but you've given them the criteria for them to have that clarity, to have that confidence to take that initiative. And, you know, and you, you just do it one step at a time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. And yeah, I mean, it, a lot of times you think about it from the money angle and and I feel like I don't know over time I've learned like the time piece is way more important than the money piece I mean the money is important to a degree but so I like that you included that aspect because when you have more freedom and flexibility around time like problems just get reduced they get minimized like you have more I don't know just joy in your life so I like that I got a few more questions to wrap up but if people want to connect with you and learn more about what you do, like what's a good good place to do that? Uh, my website's a good place. So suitorbusinessbuilders.com. It's S-U-I-T-E-R businessbuilders.com. And yeah, that would be the best place. If someone has a direct question about something I've shared today, they can always email me at vicky at suitorbusinessbuilders.com. That's B-I-C-K-I. Cool. Well, right on. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up with our fast five. Uh, So I'll hit you with five rapid fire questions and uh, say whatever comes to mind. So first question, favorite business book and why? It's funny because I've thought about it a couple of times in our conversation, Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. It's an awesome book. and And he really leans into this whole thing about how to have hard conversations. And it's written as a parable. So I, I just, I think it's a great book. It's a super easy read or listen. Yeah. All, yeah. All of his stuff is great, but yeah, that one is obviously very, very, very relevant to what we talked about today. So awesome. All right. Who is the most inspirational person in your life? I would say it's actually two people. I would say my mother and my grandmother, my, they are, were both super strong women who were very courageous, who were willing to take on really big challenges of their lives and never look back. And it taught me a lot about being willing to step into the arena of discomfort and go for what you want. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? I think it would be to fly. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would just be really fun. Then I could go see my kids anytime I wanted. They don't live here in the same state where I am. So that would be super fun. 
That'd be cool. Yeah. All right, uh, Vicky, describe yourself in three words. Let's see, three words. I would say decisive, driven, and compassionate. Right on. All right, final question. If you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? Be willing to try something new and just like take like one step at a time. All you have to do is take the first step. Don't try to eat the elephant all at one time. You know, it's we were just talking a minute ago about that whole thing of wow, that you know, people might feel like it's a lot, but just choose the one thing. And I actually want to offer you didn't ask the Spencer, but I have a, a guide for writing great position agreements. I'm happy to share that document with your listeners and so that they can go download that. And I'll actually include a sample job description for a carpenter. So you can kind of see what does that look like in real terms. So that might help people like just like do that one thing. It'll help you hire better and it'll help you start to manage better when you can start to think in terms of what are the results that you're looking for. Cool. Yeah. Great advice. And yes, yeah, send that over to me. We'll put it in the show notes so people can connect, get access to that. And yeah, Vicky, thanks for carving out the time. Lots of food for thought and yeah, good, good actionable advice today. Thank you. Thanks for having me as a guest. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as a quick reminder, text radio to 33777 for some free goodies as a thank you for listening to the show. And if you got some value from today's episode, I just ask that you leave us a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and grow this awesome community of people who are working to improve their lives and their businesses. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.